Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. You can make a kid's film that was so fucking disturbing and gross that parents would still let their kids rent it and watch it alone on a Friday night. That's the story of my childhood anyway. And this week, we're all going to get together to fillet the gate from 1987. So please tune in. We're joined once again by Ralph. The gate. Let's discuss it. <laughs> jackets, ladies and gentlemen, jackets. That's that's that is that is the theme of the movie here. So Stephen Dorff's jacket is pretty damn awesome. It's just got patches of like random rocket ships and baseball teams. And then uh, what, what's his friend's name? Terry. Terry. All right. Terry. Not Todd. Terry. His jacket is also freaking awesome. It's got like some killer dwarves patch on the back, which apparently is a real band. I'd believe it. <laughs> There's a band called the, the Killer Dwarves or just the Dwarves? I know the Dwarves. I know the Dwarves. Not personally. I know the dwarves too, but I, I was looking it up online and it was saying that there's the killer dwarves as well. Oh. Hmm. I have to say something right up front though about this movie. I like this movie. I don't love this movie the way that other people love this Ugh, movie. Blast oh. me. Get the fuck off this podcast. <laughs> uh, so here's, and this is going to make this even worse. So this is the story of me seeing the gate. There was a movie that used to come on like HBO or one of those channels all the time. And I never caught the name of it, but I loved the movie. So I posted online, like right in the early days of the internet on one of the horror movie forums. Like, I'm looking for a movie. There's this kid and he's a house and there's a bunch of like demons in his basement and a couch eats somebody and his like sister is stalked by a werewolf in the shower. Like can you tell me what this movie is? And a bunch of people were like, it sounds like the gate. You should see the gate. So like, I very excitedly rented the gate and it was not that movie at all. <laughs> Did you ever figure out what that movie was? Yeah. And it's not a good movie at all. It was Saturday. The 14th strikes back. <laughs> oh, wow. I was literally just going to say that sounds like Saturday the 14th. <laughs> oh man. I'm proud of my skills right now. <laughs> but 
I feel like because I was so excited to discover a movie that I'd been searching for, and instead I just got like a pretty decent satanic panic movie, I was always a little bit let down. And I just think some parts of this movie drag. For for a movie that's like an hour and 20 minutes, it feels long at times. It, yeah, it sure does. But I like it. Like the I love the claymation. And there's some like really great lines and some really great moments, but I like this has never been like top top horror film fodder for me. It's been like a, oh, I'll pop on the gate. Like that's usually it's just kind of a like back in my mind, yeah, let's go on the gate type attitude towards it all the time. I think the mood of the movie is better than like the actual plot or or movie itself. Yeah. I, I just I think like the atmosphere of it is super good. Like it, it feels like the kind of movie that you would rent when you're like 14 and you got a whole bunch of people sleeping over downstairs in your basement and you're making popcorn and you're barely going to pay attention to it anyway. Yeah, I feel like that's fair. So Scott, do you want to want to take the reins on walking us through what happens in the gate? Sure. All right. So uh, we start off with little Stephen Dorff and um, he, he comes in. This intro scene is fun. He comes in and there's nobody in the house and and he's like, where's everybody? They ain't doing without me. And then he goes outside and he gets and there's a storm coming and he gets in his uh, treehouse and then uh, the treehouse starts to get cut down and he wakes up and it's them cutting down the treehouse outside, which didn't do a really good job of explaining why they're doing that. But that was kind of a dick move on his parents part. His parents are kind of non-entities, which is fine. Uh, it was the 80s and that seems to be a uh, recurring theme in a lot of 80s kids movies is absent parents so so thanks baby boomers and then we get he meet you, you get some backstory with him and his buddy terry they're fucking around in the backyard um they find a geode and then his sister al alexandra uh stops by and she's you know they used to be tight you know they used to be pals and then she's now in arguably high school i'm guessing she's like a sophomore or something and is too cool for to hang out with her brother and so she she runs off and 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 they're like let's go do you know young boy things and so they're messing around with the with the this gigantic geode that they find they crack it open and bad stuff starts happening and then the parents decide that they want to go away for a long weekend and al alexandra we're just going to refer to her as al because that's what steven dwarf would want so she <laughs> she is she talks them into letting her watch her little brother and then proceeds to have a party at the house, which she doesn't seem too excited about when people start like showing up. Typical, you know, oh, I over I overshot this. It was supposed to be just a couple people. And now I've got the entire school here, that kind of thing. And then they levitate Stephen Dorff and people are all OK with that, apparently. But. Things are getting worse and worse, and then their dog, Angus, is dead, and uh, Terry goes home after sleeping over and listens to a sweet heavy metal record and then figures out that they have opened the gate by, by having the geode open, and then they read the the thing on like the, the magnetograph and um, kind of like they need to wrap that magnetic chalkboard in trash bags and barbed wire. And like put it in the basement around with a bunch of dead cats on strings because that's the only way to keep people from reading it. So they have opened the gate and they're Al's stupid ass boyfriend. He's not really her boyfriend, but the guy she likes somehow has 
Angus's dead body, tosses him in the hole, and all hell breaks loose. There are zombie parents. There are um, little minions that are awesome claymation, and they're super creepy. Like always, always have been creeped out by those guys. And I, I think that this movie does hold up because of its um, practical effects. Yeah, the final, so, the final like claymation demon looks really fucking dope. You know, I actually have a note that says that I don't love, and I never have. I've never loved the the big bad in this. I just love the minions. See, I like the big bad because it reminds me of something that they would have fought in Jason and the Argonauts. Yeah, it does feel like that with its kind of like aardvark or uh, anteater almost mouth. Yeah. It's just like a weird little. Yeah, but it's, I think that the minions just worked very well because I think that their claymation, as well as they might have been people in costumes, on a green screen, I'm not positive how they did that effect, but some of them move in such a way that seems like human, but just just creepy enough that it's like that uncanny valley and not really not really human. It's very very cool. I love that effect. But in any case, uh, Stephen Dorff defeats the big bad, um, gets his friends back, and then the end of the movie is that they their house is fucked. Yeah. <laughs> like their parents are about to come Dude, home. I left out loud. When when Steven Dorf goes flying out of the house when he defeats the big bad, like it's like straight out of an Evil Dead movie where he's just like ah, and he's like spiraling yeah, out yep. the door. Agreed. I want to draw attention to at least two things in a quote. I'll go with the quote first. Uh, I'm gonna definitely start saying "suck my nose until your till my head caves in" to more people because <laughs> that really puts people in their place. Um, I love that Terry listens to like the kind of metal that I like, which is like straight Rhapsody of Fire, like long epic speeches in the middle of the song. Well, that that also ties back into last week us doing a Howling movie because you know Christopher Lloyd did a or Christopher wow Christopher Lee did a bunch of uh, Rhapsody of Fire albums, yeah, Rhapsody. And and I like the fact that Matt is such a new school Rhapsody uh, fan that he refers to them as Rhapsody of Fire like you are supposed to because I found out about them when they were called Rhapsody and then they got sued or something like that and they had to change their name. And so I never remember because I stopped listening to them. I've listened to everything that they've done after changing their name. But never really, it never really hit me like the early Rhapsody stuff, and so I never remember that they are now Rhapsody of Fire. <laughs> Did I ever tell you how I discovered Rhapsody of Fire? No, you tell me, then I'll so tell you. For me, it was the first ever trip that I took to California, and ju- I had just met Jonathan London, and he drove me down to San Diego Comic Con, and his brother Paul was going to be doing a big signing at our booth because his brother was like a former WWE Tag Team Champion, and afterwards his brother's like oh i got you a gift and he just hands him like four rhapsody of fire albums because there are a lot yeah so that was like all john and i listened to for the entire san diego weekend (laughs) and like during the drive home it was like all rhapsody of fire to keep us awake and i was like man that sounds like a good time i was like this man fucking rips like i just started buying everything that i could of them from that point on yeah, uh, man, the more stories you tell me about hanging out with John, I just really I need I I need a weekend with Jonathan London. John, if you're listening, <laughs> we're fucking hanging out listening to power metal. Uh, so so in high school, I I think I heard a little bit of power metal because this was the early days of not the early early days of the internet, but the early days of like being able to download music easily because I had, you know, like dial up and and it was not easy. 
So I, I think I'd heard a little bit and I was like, oh, I love the idea of power metal. I just have not found a band that really does it for me, you know, like that it's just not fast enough because a lot of it is very, you know, like, um, oh God, I'm who, who am I thinking of? Uh, like uh, Blind Guardian. Blind Guardian has some fast songs, but a lot of it is more like mid-paced and slower folky kind of stuff. And that doesn't do it for me. Yeah. And I and and um I was in college, which I feel like when and, the when the one dude left Rhapsody and formed his like side projects, he went. Is that Luca yeah. Turilla? Turilli? Yeah, yeah. I feel like his side projects are way more folky and slow. Oh, yeah. oh no 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 no. Luca is the main guitar player. I, as far as I understand, Luki Luca is the main guitar player, and um at least he used to be. I don't know if he's still with them, but he had side projects stuff solo record stuff that actually was when i when i first grabbed a bunch of rhapsody stuff i got it off of like i don't know it wasn't napster but it was something like napster i don't remember what i used at the time probably frostwire <laughs> no, no it, it was like audio galaxy or some <laughs> some sharing site like that uh but i got a bunch of rhapsody that was just kind of like somebody's favorites so i never i didn't get any full albums and a couple of the luca Turilli records were in there as Rhapsody because everything was you know people would mislabel songs all the time back in back in the early 2000s that was back when you would download some dude's shitty pop punk band where it was listed as like Blink-182 Homegrown No Newfound Glory yes. like it would just be a I list of band names like that no I, I I found Yellow Card that way Rufio I want to say I came across the starting line that way I found way. a really great cover of Gin and Juice that I thought was less than Jake for years <laughs> I have yeah. that I still have it as yeah the, the Berlin Project. Project it's a great cover <laughs> I, I everyone has found yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Holy shit! It's just called punk covers. I remember, and you would just download like fifty of them. I'm yeah. still trying to find someone, and this will come up later on uh, in the what that I watched this week. But someone did a really cool ska version of Scooby Doo. Where are you? And I still have never figured out who the band was. Was that a ska? You said it was a ska yeah. version. Yeah, that came up as that came up as Real Big Fish. <laughs> it wasn't Real Big Fish, but it came up as Real Big no, Fish. it absolutely wasn't. I think I like use spot or uh, Shazam when it was Shazam. Oh my god! I think that's what I used. <laughs> yeah, but like I think when I like Shazam the song recently to figure out like what artist it said, it just said like those meddling kids. So unless unless there's a band somewhere that just forms strictly to cover Scooby Doo, where are you? I I don't <laughs> think that's accurate. <laughs> like, uh, anyway, so so. Back to Rhapsody. We got so sidetracked. But like I, I, I found out about Rhapsody <laughs> through Shazam, I think it was. And um, I actually prefer the Luca records because they are. Oh, you're thinking of Kazam. Kazam. Kaz- Shazam is a different app. Yeah, okay. Okay. So Kazam. Kazaa. Kazaa. That's what it was. Wow. This is taking me back. Um, <laughs> but yeah, Kazaa. And I, I grabbed Rhapsody and I was like, mind blown this, this shit rules it's just like so good and um i would i would share it with everybody there were girls i was interested in that they'd come over to my dorm room and be like you gotta listen to this band <laughs> <laughs> oh my god i i never got any action in college and this was probably why but anyway then um i rhapsody was like you know when people would bring up power man i'd be like rhapsody you gotta listen to rhapsody and I got, I finished college and I moved back, back in with my parents and I was working at a coffee shop and Dragon Force released um, uh, Inhuman Firestorm or whatever the, 
in Human Rampage. That that is technically their second record, but it's the one with like um, "My Spirit Will Go On" on it. And I heard that okay. for the first time, and I was like, "Rhapsody Who?" Because it was basically all of the fast shit that Rhapsody did without the soft, slow stuff. And I was like, "This is the best!" Oh man, I had a really, really long power metal streak going on in my life and you know i've never seen a power metal band live because i really came into the genre after their popularity in the states peaked and waned like it was i feel like you could probably if you lived in europe maybe you could still see some of these bands because most of them came from germany and um the the uk somewhere but they um yeah, like I've never gotten to see a power metal band live, which is such a disappointment for me. The closest I ever got was I got to play with Three Inches of Blood twice, which is one of my all-time favorite metal bands. And they're almost power metal. They're like heavy metal with the power metal vocals. But man, I would love to see a legit power metal band live because it's so ridiculous. It's just the best kind of ridiculous. All right. So what are we talking about? We're talking about the so gate. the gate. Uh, the the only other the only other part of the gate that I definitely want to talk about because it's probably for me the most iconic moment is the eyeball in the hand. Uh, that that's a, more that's more iconic than the you've been bad and then his dad's face caves in and turns to goop. Yeah, <laughs> to me, whenever I think of the gate or even mention the gate to people, are like, is that where the kid gets an eyeball in his hand for a second? That's so it's, weird that that's like what people remember because I remember the you've been bad. More than anything. But yeah, uh, and I also remember the kid dancing with a dead dog, which, uh, yeah. That's so funny because um, uh, my notes go, (laughs) this is so weird. Um, Everyone is just okay with the fact that Glenn levitated. Man, the 80s were a wild time. And then immediately, Al checking the boobs out in the full-length mirror really creeps me out. And then (laughs) I have Terry's mom is the first apparition. I feel like the writers and directors in our childhood had actual license to talk about some terrible trauma. Now it's all Hannah Montana bullshit. And then, <laughs> and then I say, um, I love the movement behind the wall, which we talked about that that effect kind of slightly done way more poorly in um, Bloody New Year. And they also did it in, you know, like a couple Nightmare on Elm Streets. But then uh, so Terry goes down and he's hugging, he's like hugging and dancing with his mom. And then it turns out to be Angus. And I'm like, I want a dog hug. And then I'm like, wait, Angus is dead. No. (laughs) Oh man. And then, but it's, it's also, I want to give credit to the, to the writers of this because I feel like the expectation when, and this might have been a very um, influenced by how popular Stephen King was in the seventies and eighties where kids were so resilient in these movies you know, like they'd see some terrible shit, they'd talk about it, and then they'd have to go and be normal. And then they'd come back and they'd try and figure things out. It's not like they would be traumatized. They'd be proactive about it. So Terry goes home and he's, he, after, you know, seeing his dead mom and then uh, losing her again, and then it being the dead dog, they, he goes home and he listens to his metal band and him, him dancing around in his room is great. I love that scene. And it kind of reminds me of the boyfriend in Terror Vision. Okay, yeah. I mean, I, I don't know. I love punks and metalheads in 80s horror movies because it was like they were they were mainstream enough to be seen on the sidewalk, but it was still esoteric enough that they could be like the the ones that could find this information and bring it back to save the day. 
it was really just very funny. Now metalheads are just stinky dudes with bad expectations about what women should do for them. <laughs> uh, so the uh, we we have to talk a little bit since we're talking about Terry's outfit and his taste in music. The the twins are they twin sisters that are Al's kind of like mean girlfriends. Yeah. Yeah, I think Lee, so. the one the girl Lee sisters. Yeah, they have the one girl has something about Mary hair. She legit has like her hair is spiked up in the front, and then it's just a weird bob on the sides and back. It is so strange, and I, you know, I'm assuming that they, because everybody's outfits are pretty amazing in this movie. That the the party scene, it looks like Saved by the Bell threw up on the floor <laughs> like it is <laughs> their outfits are just so bright and people are wearing yellow and orange together and lots of like pastels and neons um it's a it's a good time but the uh the hair st- styles are just crazy in this movie and uh the it's it's also odd that so the lee sisters are over and then al's um kind of romantic interest that dude who eventually brings angus's body back in his car and tosses it in the hole but he just grabs glenn's cereal and starts eating it (laughs) it's such a weird movie detail and then glenn calls him a fag and everybody gets called a fag and a retard in this movie and it's just such a weird it's not nostalgia but it just kind of is this weird trip down memory lane when it was a a legitimate thing like a a, a slur to call people you know like now it makes me gasp because it's not something that you hear in regular nomenclature anymore but yeah it's just this movie is kind of a nice little time capsule to when i so this is an r-rated film right yeah uh no pg-13 i think okay okay because it's it really it's like on the cusp you know i i feel like it, it had enough violence that now it would be it would be um, – oh, it has enough swearing that it would now be R-rated. But it's got that kind of and, – and I feel like in the 80s it was lightning in a bottle where they could do kids' movies that had these dark themes and kids saving the day who were actually kids, like 11 and 12 years old. I can't believe that Stephen Dorff would be more than 12 in this movie. Yeah. Kind of these dark themes with dead parents or or parents that don't really care about their kids enough to really listen and uh, this movie is completely carried by teenage actors, by young young kid actors, and I don't think that that happens very much anymore. You have to; it's it's almost everything is, you know, writers are too worried about having these themes. These you know, kids cannot be autonomous in modern movies, and you can't have them doing the things that they did in '80s movies. And that's why this movie has that feeling of being so nostalgic. Not because I didn't watch it as a kid. I didn't see it until I was like 15 or 16. Because this is like Monster Squad level obscure. Maybe not quite as obscure because I think that it got a DVD release sooner than Monster Squad. But um, not as many people have seen The Gate as we think. Yeah. Or they don't remember it. It's not like people will all remember Gremlins. But they won't remember The Gate. And they sure as hell won't remember Monster Squad. Yeah, that's that's fairly accurate actually. Um, I feel like that's a good note to end on unless Ralph has anything else to throw in there. Well, I just want to say, you know, when Scott was talking about the eighties, the eighties party, you know, they have where they're just so, all so bright. 
is it just me? Or I can't think of any specifics, but I know I've seen this trope tons of times where there's a party and then all of a sudden everybody will sit around and be quiet while one person does like a seance or something like that. Like they'll just dive into the occult, like just go from zero to 100 so fast. And it's it's definitely happened in other movies. I can't name any off the top of my head. And I, I just always think that's so funny is that, you know, they're supposed to be teenagers that are drinking and, you know, like horny and all that kind of fun stuff. But then they'll just all sit and be quiet as soon as someone like tries to levitate someone else. Yeah, and also like they all sobered up real fast. And, and another thing, you know, just going back to Scott saying about like the children carried movies, this reminds me a lot of Silver Bullet to an extent, you know, just with the uh, brother-sister relationship and how like the sister's growing up a little more, whereas the brother is still kind of, you know, acting like a 10 to 12 year old or however old he's supposed to be. So it, it reminded me a bit of that. Um, you know, and I just love the kind of generic 80s tropes that are all over it. You know, speaking on that, you know, one of the tropes is that the sister has to go run off to like go to the beach or go to the mall or something. But one scene in particular that I liked was it's towards the beginning where she's like throwing out a whole bunch of her toys. And Steven Dorff's like, oh, I thought we were going to fire rockets. You know, I'm not allowed to do it myself after I blew up the roof. And it just was like the roof charred and burned and like half of it. And she just like jumps into this convertible, you know, and of course it's another standard trope where like they pretend to pull away before she gets in there. She's like, oh, come on, guys. (laughs) But but one of the things that I love within it, I've noticed it so much more in all TVs and movies is that they always like to make the background so busy. So like while that's happening, there's just some kid who's riding his bike and he's – it's not like he's a little kid. Like he's a teenager and he's just riding his bike in his own driveway going around <laughs> in circles. <laughs> and he just – you just see like two or three other cars zoom by. Like I, I've noticed this. I've been watching a lot of um, – I've been watching uh, a lot of like Gilmore Girls or Desperate Housewives like with my wife just kind of late at night just to fall asleep. Yeah. And they do that so often too, where just the backgrounds are so fucking busy that it's not anything like real life. And it's just so funny to watch. And I, I just wanted so bad, like be one of those background actors <laughs> who's just like only job is to walk past and like change my shirt really quick and then walk past the other way. So like two different people. <laughs> but uh, that, that I don't know. It's just little things like that, like just maybe crack up so much, just like these little minute details. And just as you said, it's a total nostalgia kick. Like it just throws you back to I, – obviously, I mean I wasn't a teenager in the 80s, but it throws you back to like what it would feel like then. It just makes everything look so happy and positive and upbeat even though they are doing horrible things. And as you said, even though they have like some horrible morals with calling people things they would never get away with now, which by the way, um, you know, speaking to people calling each other, you know, fag and faggot and stuff. One, I noticed that they, they do that way too far. I feel like, like Freddie versus Jason, uh, Kelly Rowland's character says that to Freddie. And that was like 10 and, years ago. <laughs> no, and I'm just like, Whoa, <laughs> 10 years ago, my friend, we're in a, we're in the old man time warp. Now Freddie versus Jason was 2003. Yeah. That's, that's a long last. That's more than 10 years ago. But even still that, that was like just on the cusp of like, okay, this is, no, this no, no. is pretty inappropriate. Here, here's the cusp of when it was inappropriate because my sister. Oh, oh yeah. The, Never. <laughs> no, 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 no. I'm saying like, um, even for small town folks like myself in high school, my favorite movie was can't hardly wait. It's one of Matt's favorite movies too, but there's that part where this, this, the big 
point where people start making fun of Mike Dexter is one person in the background of the scene screams out "bag" uh, after he gets turned down by uh, Jennifer Love Hewitt. Well, I was trying to remember her. Amanda her Becker. Amanda Beckett. Um, and then everybody starts laughing. And I remember my sister seeing that movie for the first time or seeing that scene for the first time after I think I got a VHS copy of it. So this couldn't have been more than the year 2000, you know? And she was like, I can't believe that's in that movie. Cause she was in college by that point, And she was like, that's, that's fucked up. So having Freddy versus Jason have that be kind of like a, a penultimate moment for Kelly Rowland's character is even <laughs> beyond the pale. You know, it, it was inappropriate when they were doing it in the eighties in this movie. But it was like so, so much worse in Freddy vs. Jason because they should know better by then because there's the internet, you know? Yeah. There's like segments on both the Freddy and Jason documentaries that focus on how inappropriate that line is. (laughs) (laughs) Can we talk about Can't Hardly Wait for one more second? Sure. (laughs) All right. So one of my favorite things to do is take that scene where um where Jason Siegel is actually there and Jennifer Love Hewitt comes by and she's like, "Hey, have you seen Preston?" And he's like, "Preston? You mean he's like he's like kind of sort of tall. He's got hair and t-shirt sometimes. sometimes. Yes, yeah, shirts sometimes. Whenever anyone asks me to like describe someone, that's how I'll describe them from <laughs> now on. <laughs> I'm just like, well, you know, he's they got hair and they wear shirts." Sometimes, you need, <laughs> but you need like a toy dinosaur, so you can be like, and he's always wearing t-shirts. <laughs> yeah, he's. I I can never tell if he's supposed to be high off his ass or just wasted drunk. He's supposed because, to be drunk. He's supposed well, to be drunk. I can I can confirm because of the deleted scene uh, where he's playing with the watermelon, right? Yeah, the watermelon had been soaking in vodka for since his freshman year. Yeah, and he was going to eat the entire watermelon. <laughs> and then doesn't somebody fall on it? He slips and drops it, and it shatters everywhere, okay. and he starts yeah. screaming. But yeah. they, they so, point out in the commentary track that if you look closely enough, for he's whatever reason— He's holding the watermelon. Well, he's holding the watermelon, but they said Jason Siegel, during, like, the—, the like, while they were setting up the scene, like, took a knife and carved the uh, watermelon to look like a vagina— and he's yes, like, he's like playing with it like yeah, it's a vagina. I was yeah. gonna say if you were, if you were gonna say that, I was gonna say something about that because he's just like softly like rubbing this yeah. cleft that's in the middle of part of the when watermelon. When he goes to eat hilarious. the watermelon, when he eats the watermelon, he lifts it up and starts licking it with his yeah, tongue. Yeah. Oh my god, that's the best movie detail that I can't believe we've never talked about in five plus. We're at like six, almost six years of podcasting together, and we've never. It's about the watermelon vagina and can't hardly wait. <laughs> oh, so glad that you brought that up. That that's just made my day. It's so nice to have a night alone to myself. This popcorn is going to go great with my stories. Nothing like a Gilmore Girls marathon to lighten the mood. Hmm. Hello. Hello. Yes. Who is this? I think you have the wrong number. Do I? It happens. Take it easy. Huh. That was weird. Oh, well. Popcorn's ready. If you're out on the road, feeling lonely, turn so calm. All you have to do is call my name and I'll be there. Hello? Why don't you want to talk to me? 
Who is this? I want to talk to you for a second. Ha, they got grinded for that. What's your name? Why do you want to know my name? You going to ask me out or something? Maybe. Look, I got to go. I'm getting ready to watch Netflix. Do you like scary movies? Not really. I'm about to watch The Gilmore Girls. (laughs) Oh, come on. There's got to be a scary movie that you do like. Well, I do like American Horror Story. Okay, but you know, what about the classics? Like, how do you even know what that show is referencing? Yeah, don't care much about that. But listen, I gotta go. Don't hang up. Bye. Look here, you little <laughs> f-er. If you hang up on me again, I will cut you like a fish. Understand? Is this some kind of joke? What do you want? To see what your insides look like. <gasps> <gasps> Who's there? What do you want from me? Jeez, Joe. (laughs) It's Joshua. How's your night going? Oh, thank God it's you, Joshua. I think I was having a nervous breakdown. This creepy guy was calling me asking me if I like scary movies. That's awesome. Like in Scream? What? Uh, You know, the 1996 horror classic by horror god Wes Craven. Joshua, you know I don't know nothing about no horror films. Not like you. Well, yeah. I mean, you're not as cool as I am. Uh, But I could totally teach you about them. About horror? Yeah, you know, like the genre, its culture, historical, and social importance in film history. Well, I am a big nerd, and I think that sounds like fun. Say, let's make this do a podcast so that other people can go on this journey with me. Yeah, we'll call it Bright School, and we can release new episodes on Apple Podcasts and SoundCloud. Sweet. When do we start? We can start right now. Your first lesson is... You should never call out who's there in a scary movie. It's a death wish. <gasps> Joshua, where are you right now? This call is coming from inside your house. So what did you guys watch this week? <laughs> we definitely watched Jason Siegel do kind of link us on some watermelon. Uh, I'll I'll start because I don't have anything uh, necessary to to really mention. Um, my niece made me watch BFG the other day. Uh, big fucking giant. <laughs> uh, the butt fucking giant. Uh, it's okay. It's it's cute or whatever. More importantly, uh, I have decided to purchase and rewatch the first. Well, I guess there's only three seasons. The entire series of Scooby-Doo, Where Are You? Um, And I finished the first season. And for a show that is almost 60 years old, that show is fucking great. Like, it still is really fun. And it's charming. And it's like one of those tentpole shows to, like, my pathway to being a horror fan. My only complaint is watching it as an adult they do not introduce nearly enough characters for the reveal to be a surprise at the end of the episode. <laughs> like, the, usually it's the Scooby gang and, like, two people. And one's very clearly evil and one's clearly not. And you're like, all right, well, that one's the one that's dressing up, I guess. Like, there's not a lot of mystery to these. Uh, but good time all around. <laughs> My three-year-old son is obsessed with Scooby-Doo. So I'm, su- I'm super happy I'm, you brought that up. I'm you know? super and glad he- that I have the attention span of a three-year-old <laughs> But I but I watch them too. You know, uh, one of the great things I found was one time I found an eBay auction that had like twenty of the DVDs for like fifteen bucks or something like that. So I scooped it up, and yeah, he he likes both. You know, the 
old 60s cartoon and then, you know, a bunch of the modern incarnations of it, you know, including the live action movies, which the second one is better than the first one, but that's for another day. Um, but anyway, what I was going to say, if Scott, I'm not sure if you're a fan of Scooby-Doo at all, but the one series that I think you'd appreciate the most is a pup named Scooby-Doo because it's a late 80s cartoon, but it takes place in the 50s. Okay. So I know you're all about 50s, oh, yeah. so that, that's going to be your jam. Well, I've heard, and I want to check it out because I've never watched it, but I've been told that the newest Scooby-Doo cartoon, like Mystery Incorporated, is like made for horror fans. Yeah, they um, like I've seen the they're clip. college age in that, and they they you know make them a little bit more mature, and they actually have a arc you know throughout the show. Um, so yeah, it, it's definitely more for adults. Scott, um, I know you don't watch Scooby Doo, but I've seen a clip from the episode where like they solve a mystery and they leave the um the the like they're talking to the police chief or whatever, and they leave. And then for no reason, apparently, it has no bearing to the rest of the episode. But the chief just looks and he's like, huh, what's this? And it's the box from Hellraiser. <laughs> and he, I love it. And, he's, and he starts playing with it. And then it cuts to like a wide shot. And all of a sudden he just starts screaming. <laughs> like, <laughs> like it's apparently the newest version of Scooby-Doo has like all these weird like Easter eggs that make no sense to a child. But like. To the horror-loving adult that's watching it with them is just like, yay! <laughs> yeah, the the arc of that of that show is they're trying to find like all these various like artifacts and you know crap like that that all kind of piece together. So yeah, they certainly throw in like little Easter eggs. Like <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Scooby Doo still super fun. I it reminds me that there was this weird time in the '60s where they would put Ken laughter in cartoons, like <laughs> like it was Scooby Doo and like the Flintstones had it and stuff. And I just still find that such a weird thing that Hanna Barbera thought was a good idea. But that's all I've got for what did I watch this week? All right, um, I watched Personal Shopper with Kristen Stewart. How was that? Because I heard that on a couple people's like best horror films of the year list. It was. Better than I anticipated, in all honesty. I was expecting like some, because I, th- I think it's a French director. So I was expecting like some super duper hipster stuff. And it was more of a mystery than I anticipated. And it was also more supernatural than I anticipated. But neither of them go too overboard. It's very quiet. It's, you know, it's totally a slow burn. Um, and it's just really pretty much all driven by Kristen Stewart. Um but it's it's solid. I I don't know if I would watch it multiple times, but if I were ever to catch it, you know, on TV or something again, I wouldn't mind watching it again. Um, it, it was it was definitely better than I anticipated. I would I'd at least recommend checking it out. I, I wouldn't go in there thinking it's going to be the greatest thing of all time, but it's good enough. Uh, the other movie that I watched that I was super impressed with was a uh, Super Dark Times. Okay. And you know, kind of, kind of going on the gate of that's the you that's know, the, it's it was like a 2016 movie, and it's like the kids. Is that right? Yeah, you know, kind kind of going off the gate of kind of early teenagers. You know, it's about this this group of kids that um, one's as one's as young as eighth grade, so I, I guess they're between like maybe like 14 and 17. And you know, not to spoil it too much, but something super terrible happens, um, and they then have to figure out how to deal with it. Um, but it's one of those movies where I liked that they didn't like these, these kids aren't popular. They aren't cool. 
but they're not losers, you know? So they don't like glamorize the geek culture like Stranger Things does, mm. but then they also don't make them like sex starved stereotypes, you know, like American Pie or something like that. I thought it was actually a super realistic adaptation of what like boys that are 14 to 17 who are trying to be macho around each other. But, you know, as soon as a girl comes in the picture, they're all like, they're all scared and nervous, you know, or, or as soon as drugs come in the picture, they're all scared and nervous or even, or even their own parents. But anyway, that was, I would recommend that to, to no end. That was a phenomenal movie, in my opinion. Um, the ending, the ending dwells a little bit more into like the, the horror realm than the rest of the film. I feel like the rest of the film is kind of like a drama. And then maybe like the last 20 minutes or so, it kind of starts to bring in those horror elements. But I would definitely recommend that one. Uh, and then the, my last word that I watched this week was you had talked about it uh, a little while back, Matt, was Disaster yeah. Artist. And I had seen The Room and thoroughly enjoyed The Room. I actually had heard of The Room because of Tim and Eric Awesome Show Great Job, where they showed like a clip of it and had Tommy Wiseau be a guest star. So that's how I found out about The Room. Then I saw The Room. I enjoyed The Room because it's honestly just horrendous and horrible but funny and i don't know i'm of the opinion that if you see disaster artists the only way you, you actually enjoy it is if you're already a fan of the room um my wife watched it with me and she had never seen the room and she was like bored to death um <laughs> so i i would i would recommend if you're already fans of the room otherwise i'm not yeah. really sure if it's and i finally got around to seeing the room like last week or so and it's just I mean, there's nothing really to say. I've never even mentioned it on the show because it's like there's nothing more to add that hasn't been like added a thousand times. Uh, I get the appeal. I get the charm. I don't think it's the worst movie. It's not even the worst movie that I've seen this year. Like, it's it's a bad movie, but there are far worse movies in the world for it to be like the worst movie ever. Um, all right, Scott. All right, so I want to talk about a TV show uh, that I thought would be. Um, I thought that it would be a good send off for our discussion of the gate have you guys watched any of the toys that made us on netflix no what is that because i saw the cover the other day uh so it's it's a documentary series and i believe that i I think we've only watched four episodes now three or four episodes and i think they're going to be like churning them out a couple episodes at a time i'm not exactly sure what their what their um release schedule looks like but it talks about super popular toys from more or less our childhood. The first episode was about the Star Wars toys, and they talk about how they got made, basically. Um, how the, how the, what the, what the events were that, it was, it's like the chronology of how they're, they're made. The Star Wars one was very interesting because, in particular, so I watched the Star Wars one, the Barbie one, and the um, He-Man one. I think that the, I think Megan might have watched one more. I can't remember though, but they're they're very interesting because they're ta- they talk about they they interview the creators, they interview the people that worked Kenner and Hasbro and stuff like that, and they kind of give you the timeline of okay, like for the Star Wars one. So Star Wars is <laughs> something like twelve months out from being released, and finally Lucasfilm is like. Okay, we found they, they find um, Kenner, right? I can't remember which yeah, one it was. I think it was Kenner. In any case, Kenner. Uh, they they find they get turned down by a, a a laundry list of all the big toy companies to do their figures. 
and then they finally find this one that's going to do oh and i watched the gi joe one so i did see four of them uh so they they go but for star wars one they they have 12 months to try and get these toys out on shelves they don't make it but um it was a different time in like was it 78 when that when the first movie came out i yeah. want to say 77 and so 77 okay so they they the movie came out in may of 1977 they didn't have toys they said they were going to have toys and then at christmas time they didn't have toys still like six months on and it's at the by christmas it's still like the top grossing movie of 1977 it's just different because home video wasn't a thing yet so it was you know people were still going to the theaters to watch star wars all through the majority of 1977 so by Christmas of 1977, they get these cardboard stand-ups that's, that say, like, this is, a, this, this is good for X amount of Star Wars toys that will be e- mailed to you um, as they're ready, basically. And they sold a shitload of those. And kids got them for Christmas, and then it became – that's how it started, kind of started the – the Star Wars obsession with toys, and um, it, it goes through the how how they did all these toys with the vehicles and and the sizing and and then how um, it kind of petered off by the uh, beginning of the '90s. And the, Kenner had an amazing deal with George Lucas, where they got to keep like ninety five cents on every dollar that they that they made. It was an insane deal, and then when they they lapsed, when they got bought by somebody else, and then when the the prequels came out, George Lucas got a much more lucrative toy deal, and so that's that brings us up more or less to to modern times. But it is a really really interesting show. Um, I didn't think I was going to like it because I really hate their intro song. It <clears throat> it's a brain bug, but it's really really annoying and bad. So I highly recommend everybody watch the show. And it, and fast forward through the theme song, but I understand what they were getting at. It's supposed to be cheesy and bad, like the Saturday morning cartoon themes. But really, really cool show, and I believe that they're going to be churning out episodes a couple at a time. Um, it's it's really for it, it definitely hits the demographic of people that listen to horror movie night. All right. So I recommend you watch it, and then you tell me what you think. All right, sounds good. Another one that seems in a similar vein to that, um, if you guys have seen it, it's on, I think, the Comic-Con app, you know, on like Roku and Amazon and all that fun stuff. Um, Mark Hamill's Pop Culture Quest. It's actually hosted by Mark Hamill himself. And some of the episodes dwelled into, you know, collector toys like that. Some other ones dwelled into, you know, comic books. Even one goes into like sneaker culture and all that. Um, but you you would definitely enjoy that. It's in a, It seems like it's in a similar vein to uh, the toys that made us. All right. Cool. Well, that was The Gate from 1987, as picked by you guys, and thus ends Listener Submitted Month. Uh, we'll get right back into Scott and I torturing each other with bad picks left and right. So stay tuned <laughs> to find out what terrible movies we subject each other to, and whoever our guests are, what we subject them to as well. But there's always time to send us suggestions at hmnpodcast at gmail.com, so feel free to message us whatever you think we should be watching. We can't promise that we will watch it, but we'll certainly read the email, and that's, uh, I mean, that's pretty cool, right? Um, 
Actually, we do have... Uh, I, I forgot to read this at the beginning of the episode. Uh, the email that we received from Darren in New Zealand that said, Hey guys, love the podcast. Great to know that there are people in the world besides me who have seen Rotor. Uh, while I think I'd throw my hat in the ring and give you some picks, my last... But, and then he had a bunch of picks. Um, last but not least, my pick would be The Gate with Stephen Dorff. Two kids open a demon portal in their backyard having recited some heavy metal lyrics. Loved how they did the demons. I was sad when the dog died, but he was pretty old though. Thanks guys, keep up the great work. Couldn't get through my work day without you guys and don't change that intro music. So, thank you, Darren. I hope we did you justice with our... And, and Darren, you'll be happy to know Angus lives. He did. His resurrection at the end is the best part of this Absolutely. movie. Absolutely. All right, guys, we'll be back next week. Peace. listening to the Geekscape Network.